Hi, I'm Jerome Whittingham, photographer and editor of HullIsThis.News. I've been to a couple of meetings recently, scrutinising Hull's net-zero carbon ambitions. At each of the meetings, there's been a chap who's challenged us to think about how we should put nature back into everything we do. That man is Andrew Gibson. He works for Yorkshire Wildlife Trust. He's one of their conservation officers. I wanted to know more about what Andrew means by this phrase, put nature back into everything we do. So I took him up on his offer of a drive around the city to look at some examples of what he means. We met at Andrew's office in the Trust's wildlife garden in the corner of Pearson Park. It was a miserably wet day in late November, so you'll hear the rain splashing on the mic at times. I began by asking Andrew what sort of environments we'd be looking at. Clearly most of it will be urban, but what I aim to do is show you how we can add nature within to everyday living and how we can have that, add that into businesses and industry. And the impact would be great for the nature and hopefully it would help the health and well-being of people who take an interest in those things that they see. Tell me about our first stop. Um, we've pulled up at the um, River Hull, hard defences, um, Hodgson's Tannery. I was just having to think where I was. I've got to look at the built environment. Um, British extracting, I think it was the old cocoa building, was this? Or part of our industrial past. But where the railway bridge crosses over the River Hull. Um, I've just heard a red shank, a way to go off the mud, go down the river. And, you know, there's a really good flow going from north to south so it's raining as we stand here that's draining all the land up north of Hull, Beverley it's coming off the chalk streams Yorkshire's chalk stream there is some of the rarest habitat in the world um, we have two fun- very good functioning ones up at Driffield, Gypsy Race, Bridlington but those are really significant habitats they're some of the clearest waters aren't they as well yeah. in the UK? Yeah so the chalk which runs around from Flamborough to the Humber Bridge. Um, that The rain drops on that, the chalk filters it, it comes out the springs, it feels top and low, which feeds our water in Hull, and then it flows onto here. But so often all we hear is about the flooding and the misery these things cause, and we stood in a very heavily silted river. Now, depending on what your interest is in this environment, Someone may look and say, it should be dredged. Where's the industry? Where's the boats? We have changed. Life has changed. As an individual, you change. What you wear when you're six, you're not the same as you are when you're 60. And the environment in which we live has changed in many different ways. I see this as quite a challenge in my own head. So I'm looking at it from an environmental point of view and the salt marsh species on there. I put my binoculars on because there were some gulls up there. I saw the red shank. So you could come along here, have your own space and have a walk in urban nature. Or you could come along here as somebody who's been flooded and see this as nobody's doing anything. You know, nobody's doing anything for me that the water's come onto my land or into my field. But why is it coming? What's gone on to make it? Digging that little bit of mud out there won't clear the problem, should we say, on Kingswood. You know, the sheer volumes we're talking of. So we are going to go around the city and look at some of those aqua greens, some of those issues and some of those problems. 
But I do want to, another red shank gone past us here. Um, I do want to look at the wildlife and the opportunities within there for people to introduce themselves to that wildlife and think of the impacts both on the wildlife and themselves. Andrew, I love a walk along the riverbanks of the River Hull, right here in the city centre, particularly over the winter, um, early morning, late afternoon. I see red shanks, oyster catchers, curlews. There can't be many cities in the UK where you can actually just come out of your flat, walk along and see these wading species. How are they actually doing? Generally on the Humber, they're struggling. So as the mud... As the, or as the sediments and the mud is accreted in the river hull, the angle's changed of that sediment. Really, the mud's gone flat and it's not the steep-sided. Within that lives worms and invertebrates, insects. And it's those things that those wading birds are now feeding. We have double figures of red shank feeding on this industrialised, this you know, very urban, quite a harsh landscape in the city. I did a guided walk, mental health guided walk around Queen's Gardens few, uh, February this year and we brought a number of people out in the city with binoculars, they all feel uncomfortable, awkward. We had 17 species of birds in Queen's Gardens in the trees and then went to the river to show them the red shank. Just didn't believe those things could exist but they're not just existing, they're thriving and we can allow that to happen or we can choose not to, you know, we can dredge it all out. But it's how we perceive things, how we can do things. And to have people come out and look at that wildlife side can be very good for them. So, Andrew, we've come further down the river now into the city centre, um, just opposite Dock House, um, opposite the, the boardwalk that people walk along on the opposite side of the riverbank there. Why have you brought me down here? There's one of the old entrances um, to a dock, um, I must admit, I don't know which dock, um, but it's still a recess within the river. It's got fantastic patterns and mud flats on, which is what I like. You can see a theme developing already. Um, but there's rooted in hull across the road who do growing with community and different groups. I'm not involved with rooted in hull. Um, I'm no Adrian. And I just thought a variety could be looking at growing vegetables and foods in a saline water environment so there's experimentation it's potentially working with climate change i've no idea how it would work but the one plant that comes to mind was samphire so it grows all over the humber the salinity might not be quite right here but again that's the science and learning so one of the humber barges water lifted out the river onto a bed like a a, a mud flat in the barge control that water, grow the samphire on here, sold on the front, on the marina, on those establishments there. It's giving things a local provenance, but saying to people, this plant is part of what makes up the Humber estuary. You know, it's making, again, that natural link to our environment. Your message seems to be to put nature into the city, but actually to put nature into people's minds all the time. Yes, if it's in the city, it's got to be in people's minds. Or, or thinking, actually, the nature isn't affecting me. But some might think, I like looking at it. Oh, that's interesting. But you can live with that nature constantly. You know, we, we hear so much about climate change, but not many link that with nature. You hear, you know, in development, we talk about environment. What does that mean? 
to some people, improving your environment means putting daffodils and tulips down your grass verge. To me, it means not cutting that grass verge as much, but you can still have the daffodils and tulips within there. But you can have pollinators and insects within there that adds to that natural environment. I can't think of a better word than nature, and I wish I could, because it feels a little bit twee saying put nature in things, but it's just about learning to live with other natural things within our cities and built environment, which I think we can do. You know, I think we need to do, but I also think we can do it with very little expense and it shouldn't be seen as a barrier to things that we want to do. We're going to hear the pile driving taking place. We're now down... Um, opposite the deep by the tidal barrier or the river barrier uh, that's the pile driving for the new Arco building taking place isn't it? Yes, yeah. And we're by the reed beds uh, by stage at the dock Why have you brought me here Andrew? This was adding nature into a development and it's a Wikelands development, we work with Wikelands widely and this was one where somebody, and I can't remember who it was came up with the idea of putting reeds into this redundant dry dock. And you say redundant, what's that mean? And there's lots of bits of redundant in the city. And this bit is redundant with a purpose now. It's redundant from the point of view, it's not the built environment, but this reed bed just gives a texture. It puts some nature back into the area. I found, whilst it was developing, I found a plant in here, and it was called no, oh, name's gone. It'll come back to me. Anyway, I hadn't been seen on the river hull, I was told, since 1906. I'm not a botanist. I got my binoculars out. I thought it looked interesting. I use social media, and people come back to me, and then we, we identified it, and it was Brackish Water Crowsfoot. It's a member of the Buttercup family, and that was in one corner. The area's gone through now full succession, a natural succession, and the reeds have taken over. One day you could see reed warbler singing in the middle of the city. The backdrop of the piling will have gone, but to have that passage migrant, you know, it's going to places like Hornsumere or up to Blacktoff Sands or somewhere North Cape Wetland, and it could stop here and feed. It's that small bit of the nature in the city. Adding nature into a development, this is a brilliant example. Great. Andrew, you brought me to East Park. Yeah, um, we could have found better days. It's a little bit wet. Thankfully, it's coming straight down. Um, Grey sky, low cloud, lots of yellow leaves on the trees. It's quite a late dropping autumn this year. Some big green bits where the ivies climb up the trees and then the expanse of a very formal-looking boating lake. You know, East Park is one of the major green spaces, well, it's the major green space on the east of the city. Um, and there's something on it called a ghost ander. Um, and some people think, well, I've heard of a ghost, and I've heard of goosey-goosey gander, but what's a ghost ander? It's a sawbill. Um, so it's a type of duck. It's got a serrated bill. It feeds on fish. 
and for us it's a winter visitor um, so these could be could have been up from Scotland I don't actually know where these come from I don't think anybody's made the effort to tag them and find out or they could be Scandinavian there's a reasonably stocked lake here with fish again it's artificial so the fish numbers will probably be much higher than they would be in a natural environment but those goose anders double figures 15 maybe up to 20 come and spend the winter on here and the the pass between here and um, Pickering Park on the west of the city they've no barrier with the rugby they couldn't care less <laughs> where their fish come from um, so do they make it backwards and forwards or do they just move from one to the next and then move on somewhere no they seem to come backwards and forwards so sometimes you can come here and there's one or two and if you go over to um, Pickering Park you can see 15, 16, and then vice versa. What moves them off, I'm not sure. I've never looked at them in that much detail. Um, it's the last 20 years maximum they've been appearing here. Um, but, you know, to see something of a bird that you may only see on one of the BBC's nature programmes is on your doorstep. You know, there's an interest there. And when we walked up, they were very, very close. The males are got a dark green head they've got this pinky oh they've got a white flush at the moment as they go through the winter into the early spring they go pink they're quite a majestic bird that people think you don't get something like that in the uk well you do when you, you get it in our city and then we've got the coats in front of us the mallards tufted duck botchard gray lag geese again a good species list of birds can be found here jays which member the crow family you hear them squawking in there. Tree creepers, red pole. There's just an array of birds in here if you choose to look, or if somebody would show you. And actually, because this is a public park and there's always people in the park, I've found in the past the birds, uh, you can get much closer to them. If, if you were out on the, the, the wilds of East Yorkshire somewhere, trying to look for the same species, you wouldn't get anywhere near as close. No, they're, they're habituated to people. And certainly where this fenced area is, as we've come in in the, um, I think it's off Lakeside Avenue or Holderness Road, you can't threaten those birds. Oh, you know, as people come up with dogs or whatever, the birds know nothing's going beyond that fence. So you can see things at close quarters. I bring binoculars. Um, I'm comfortable walking around public space with binoculars. Lots of people aren't, but... Once you get there and you think, I'm looking at birds, looking at the trees, looking at the textures of things, just carry on. And it's, you know, it's good to come and talk to other people about what you're seeing and what's in there. I, I see it as a real opportunity for the city to engage with people who may not come into these green spaces. And everybody knows what a bird is, even if they say it's only a chicken. It's a starting point to talk. Most know a duck. And then you can talk where the ducks come from, where the duck's going, what it's doing, you know, and involve people in just coming out, feed the ducks. It's involve yourself with the nature that's in the city. Andrew, I can't believe where we've ended up now. Tell me where we are. We are on the office roof outside the Bonus Arena in Hull. And yeah, it's a spectacular building, but this to me just demonstrates what can be done with embedding nature within the city and within the built environment. It is five metres by five metres, 100% um, man-made, 
concrete and cars round about. We're looking over Prince's Quay, see the dome of the um, Maritime Museum, um, car park, bristling with aerials. And yet you look down and we've got Vipers Bugloss, we've got Yarrow, Cornflower, Salad Burnett, um, Fescues, Poppy. It's just fantastic. It feel a bit bad stamping all over it. It is, but it's a functional space. In the summer, when I came on here, there were five species of bee. Where they come from in the city? You know, we can provide them with this space. The mallards nested in the corner, um, four chicks that were released onto the Princess Key Lake. It's a really, really good example of what can be done to make nature function. And talking to the staff in the office, they now recognise it as their bit of green space. They said it was a bit brown and horrible at this time of year, but it's winter, it's functioning, it's, yeah, it's here. Seems quite like an easy win for any developer to put this sort of space on a building of this sort of size. At the conceptual and design stage, it's just for me, it's just planted in as any roof, you know, whether you need the services coming through, it's got the parapet wall, it's got a function, and rather than putting paving slabs, tiles and whatever on there, you can put this light aggregate material. I'm not an architect. Um, there may be a slight increased cost, there may not, but that's what you hope your developers and your architects can tell us on that design stage. Living with water, this is taking a rainfall that's not going straight down that pipe and into the drainage system. And you could imagine this on every tin shed, every sorry business park that is produced around the city. You could put one of these in some shape or form. It doesn't have to be the full thing on that roof. Or on if it's too high and too much weight, look at another alternative on the slight office bit down one side. We need to think in this way if we're going to bring about change. And it benefits the office staff, you know, the employees who are working in there. They've got something to think about slightly different than the screen. You've shown me two um, different sections of the same drainage ditch now. Tell me about the significance between what we're looking at now and what we saw just a few minutes ago. We've walked in um, the Spring Headline off Willoughby Road and the first bit we walked up, there's still the odd wildflower hanging on there. So there's a dog daisy, a pink campion, a little bit of vetch. And we're looking at possibly an animal run of some type going up and down. But there's clearly vegetation, um, straggly, you know, growth that people would say is weedy. It's scruffy, it's untidy but it's got an ecological function. Drains running fine, there's no particular littering, there's no issues with it, we never considered that. We've got to a bridge and we've got a change of administration at this small footbridge. And now what we've come to is very much a canalised waterway where the banks are not quite scraped, but there's a lot of bare earth, there's very short vegetation. Interestingly, there's rubbish on the banks on this bit where it's either blown down or kicked down, whereas previously you couldn't have got that down the bank because there was a vegetation strip in the way and it stopped that debris going in the waterway. But I'm sure many people would say, well, that bit hasn't been dredged, it hasn't been cleaned out. And we look at this bit, which is clearly cleaned out, clearly had intervention, 
it's functioning no better and potentially functioning worse from both the drainage point of view with debris going in and 100% from an ecological point of view. You brought me to Bridgehead Park and you've been telling me something about orchids. Yes, it's a one of the out-of-town business developments, six or seven tin sheds as I like to call them, but their offices on here. Um, and they built the new Aura, Hull University complex on the site. And part of the building development meant it encroached into an area that had been almost set aside as the, one of the green patches in which some spotted and uh, marsh orchids were growing. With liaison with Wyclands, who I, we conduct work with, and the contractor, I came up with a plan to relocate these into one edge of the green space, and it worked. It's not difficult. You pick it up as big bits of turf, you know, a metre by half a metre, um, just pick it up as a slab, put your jigsaw puzzle back down, press it in, and the orchids come back. It is as easy as that. And if it's planned for in the design of your green space, the cost will be negligible. If you come and retrofit it, it will be an expensive item. But then that leads us on to the rest of the green space. You know, when it's finished, there'll have been a topsoil put on here, it'll have been rollered, there's an expensive seed mix gone in. We could have just used a subsoil, scattered a wildflower mix on there and cut it once a year. Whereas now there'll be this perception that it needs to be a short turf and it needs cutting every four weeks, every five weeks. So there's a, there's a fossil fuel usage in constantly maintaining that and we're not looking at change. Whereas if we put a sign up and said those flowers are there for a purpose for nature, do the employees within those buildings then view it differently and think, oh, it's doing some good. We don't need that short grass everywhere. We've got short grass where it can brush against us getting out of the car, but we've left that area and it's got a function. And that's what I'd like to see come into both the city council, business areas, and even people's gardens, if we think about that. And that can add on to flooding reduction. It's just about minor changes. So the conversations we're having, you're, you're telling me really it's about behaviour change and mindset change actually some of the things you've shown me are very sort of cost effective it's going to be a whole lot cheaper to leave a piece of land like we're standing on now uncut all year instead of you know getting the mowers out and cutting it once a month it can be cheaper there may be a, there may be different equipment needed to cut it so it's not what i think i need to make clear is it's not about putting people out of work it's not about neglect and leaving things. It's about managing things different. But all of the things I think we've looked at are about removing fossil fuels. Yes, you could argue you use electric lawnmowers. Okay, but there's still a capital investment there. But it is a mindset change. It's having people either see indifference at what they look at and think, oh, that's what they're doing it for, I'm not really bothered. Or thinking, that's really good, I can make and add to that change as well. And that's what I would like to see embedded within business, but at the very early stage, and not as a fight, when somebody like me comes along and says, oh, you, you could have done this or you can do this, it's then too expensive. You've been listening to me, Jerome Whittingham photographer and editor of hullisthis.news. 
I hope you found this episode fascinating. Let me know what you think. You'll find at HullersThis on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Do make sure you're following. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now.